The views in this podcast are the participants' own and are not the views of their respective companies. Welcome to Aerox The Legacy Life, the podcast asking, what does a career in runoff insurance or reinsurance actually look like? I'm your host, Katie Reynolds, and today we're doing something a bit different. Today, I have not one, but two guests, Marty Roseman, Head of Transaction and Legacy Management, and David Presley, Senior Legacy Origination Manager, both from Swiss Re. Hello, and thank you, gentlemen, for joining me today. Typically, I like to start these interviews by asking my guests to explain or give an overview of what they do. So uh, let's start with you, David. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Katie and Eric, for this opportunity. My role is here at Swiss Re is legacy origination across a broad menu of legacy solutions and structures from LPTs, ADCs, reinsurance novations, as well as some exciting things we're doing with our IBT platform as well. You know, given our strong global client base, we continue to be responsive to their legacy needs. Uh, where I think I provide additional value is actually looking to proactively source uh, legacy transactions via not just these current clients, but prospective clients, brokers, intermediaries, even competitors. Um, you know, I think with my extensive Rolodex over the last 20 years, it gives me an opportunity to kind of leverage a lot of those relationships and contacts to essentially increase our pipeline. But origination is just, you know, it's vital to increase that pipeline, but it's only phase one of the legacy life cycle. So I actively assist with managing the deal teams through the due diligence, the deal execution phase and onboarding. And finally, for our legacy management team to positively influence the portfolio for the remainder of the of the runoff. And I think, Marty, this is probably a, a good segue into your role and the overall structure of your team. Yeah. So thanks, David. So so yeah, with with my role as head of legacy and transaction management, basically I oversee at Swiss Re kind of the cradle to grave um, legacy platform that we have. So from the origination activities that that David does through once he originates to the due diligence that we have to do to evaluate the, the uh, portfolio that we will be covering from under any number of products that we we offer, as David alluded to, to once we close a transaction, to the monitoring of that transactions, how it's how it's performing, and then also from the claim handling aspect as as well. And all three really are, or all four of those those functions really are interchangeable. Just by way of example, you know, the the claim handling that we do, you know, often that gives rise to different innovative solutions that we can apply to a portfolio that lowers the risk, that lowers the uh, technical result of the uh, the portfolio. And then we try to leverage those different innovative strategies to, to our origination activities and how we price deals going forward. So even though they seem like four desperate functions within kind of the legacy chain, you know, they really do all feed off of each other. And since Marty, since I have you, why don't you tell us how you ended up in this role? What was your career path like to, to get to this point? Yeah, well, well, pretty much pure happenstance, probably like a lot of people now, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I started out as a lawyer, so I was in in a private practice for for six years. David, I think you're the same, aren't you? You started out practicing law. Yep, we all start there, but we end in legacy. So I did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> So after seven years of practicing law, and it, you know you're right about the time where you're moving into the the partnership track, you know I started thinking, is this really, you know, what I wanted to do long term? You know, trying the the same. Uh, I, I did mostly employment law. I was trying the same, you know, sexual harassment cases, sex discrimination cases, uh, FMLA cases, and you know, Missouri and Kansas, and probably would be 
trying a derivative of those those same cases for for the rest of my life and you know really uh, wanted to a career where i had the opportunity to to experience the world experience different cultures see more than than just the uh, ground up world of of being an attorney and litigating claims and a friend of mine worked at uh, employers reinsurance at the time which was eventually acquired by by swiss re and he lured me over to the the greener pastures of of reinsurance. So, and I, I really haven't looked back. David, you similar path, or did you have some different path into the world of insurance and reinsurance? Yeah, I had never heard of reinsurance until I I started. But my first job right out of law school was a uh, well, right before I graduated law school was a summer associate position with a boutique reinsurance law firm focused on collections, commutations, arbitrations, and uh, they even did a little origination of reinsurance assets via assignment as well. So that was a good opportunity. The majority of our clients were in the uh, in the UK, and given that I speak Spanish, I also focused on a lot of commutations and collections in Latin America, which was great. And I think they they did a really good job in investing in me. And I think that's kind of a theme for the younger generation here. It's all, you know, it's becoming upon us to definitely invest in the next generation. And my first week on the job was actually attending the uh, art conference, which is now called Erla in London in 2003. And as you can imagine, I was hooked on uh, hooked on legacy after that. Um, but uh, following the law firm, I managed commutations for a major runoff provider. And now I'm excited to be here at uh, Swiss Re and continue to improve and build upon our legacy capabilities. One of the things David was saying about his time in London, too, I mean, that's what a lot of people don't understand about the insurance or reinsurance um, profession. It really is a global profession. And, you know, I've had the, the good fortune to, to live in London. I've had a responsibility for our South Africa office while I was over there. And you, you talk about really being able to experience different different cultures, you know, both in, in Europe and being able to jump around to the different cultures in, in Europe, but also the different cultures in, in Africa and South Africa itself. You know, I had I had a person on my team in, in South Africa who was also a tribal chief. And, you know, just learning about what that meant to him and how, you know, it kind of have, has evolved. And he had one kind of one foot in in the world of being a tribal chief and one foot in the world of, of reinsurance. It's just all been really fascinating. You guys have had long, interesting careers in this space. But how do we get you know young professionals interested in insurance, much less interested in legacy insurance or reinsurance? Any ideas? Well, I I think maybe if I start start off here, Marty, I would say you know I think we need to be more deliberate in building up our bench strength across all major functions of legacy. And we clearly have, uh, to put it delicately, an, an aging workforce within the industry. But when I think about the next generation of legacy professionals, I believe our industry needs to more broadly consider not just bringing on, you know, bringing the average age of the industry down, but also pushing for diversity and inclusion initiatives, DNI initiatives, to welcome more great people under our under our legacy umbrella. I mean, I don't know how we can expect to push this industry forward without a diversity of thoughts, ideas, uh, and experiences. The onus is on all of us to not only promote, encourage and educate, but also invest in the next generation. And you'll see that not only in how we treat our colleagues, but also how we hire externally. And I think that, you know, one thing that is attractive about this is it is a global business. It is interesting. And I know that Marty, you've you've had the benefit of that in your career and uh, and have some thoughts just generally on how we can attract more young professionals. Yeah, thanks, David. Katie, you know, 
I've actually seen a sea change over the last, I don't know, three to five years. I mean, I, I do think we are seeing more young people entering the insurance and reinsurance and, and legacy space. And one of the things that I, I don't think people understand, and it kind of goes just to the, the point that I was making a few minutes ago. I mean, there is an incredible opportunity in this industry to meet people of all different races and ages and backgrounds and cultures and and with different thoughts and different ideas and and you get to experience so much of the world you know in this industry as as well and i think you know that's one of the one of the points that we have to impact upon upon young people i mean they're entering the workforce they are looking for for something that that's exciting where they can spread their wings see the world you know not just go to what i think is the the typical idea of an insurance company is which you know i go to my office i sit in my cube you know, I get up at, at 1030 to get a cup of coffee. I go back to my cube. Hopefully I get 45 minutes for lunch. I go back to my cube. I mean, really, that has not been my experience with insurance and reinsurance. You know, I find every day is a day where I, you know, I really have to sit down and figure out complex problems. And, you know, that's fascinating. I think that's what everybody wants out of the a career is the ability to really, you know, feel like you're you're using your full mental capacity and, and, you know, have the opportunity to brainstorm and and strategize and and really figure things out and try to come up with new and better ideas. And then, you know, again, just this concept of being able to take that, you know, not just inside your your own office, your own city, the the hometown where you grew up in, but really, you know, around the world. Um, this has gotten to be a bit of a long speech. I apologize for that, but I mean, I, I really, I really do feel fortunate that I I've got to live in in so many different places, you know, from, from New York to Connecticut, to St. Louis, to Kansas City, to London, and, and been able to, to see so many parts of the world. It's been an exciting life because of that. And I, I think young people need to, to realize that and we need to, to brand ourselves as an industry better so that, you know, people see this as a, a glamour career, not a, a sit in your cube kind of career. Maybe glamour is overstating it. I don't know. You guys can judge. <laughs> Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think everyone is of the same mindset that, okay, well, we need to, we really need to rebrand the industry. And yet it's, it's funny because it just doesn't seem to be happening. I don't know any, I've, I've had some folks suggest, you know, things that their companies are doing, but anything in particular that you guys have seen that seems to be working to try to get a different message out or any ideas uh, about getting different messaging out? Yeah, well, movies movies don't help, do they? Have you no, ever seen a don't. movie where? <laughs> <laughs> I think I go back to that Jack Nicholson movie Schmidt, where uh, he worked at. Uh, he lived in Omaha and he worked for a, a life a life insurance company. And oh, I just made it out to be the the worst possible life. We need like a a West Wing television show for the insurance industry or what L.A. Law did back in the time for people going to to law school. I, Katie, all seriousness, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I think. I think we do need to be more present as an industry at college campuses, talking about what we do, having conversations just like this that that kind of show people that, you know, it is a, a bit of an exciting lifestyle that you can can lead in the in the insurance industry. And I don't think we do a, a lot of that. I mean, a lot of people who enter the insurance industry are like David and I. I mean, they're they're people that that have been, you know, in other careers first. You know, they were lawyers or you know, they worked at, at accounting firms and they worked at, you know, any number of, of other stops before an insurance company. In a lot of ways, I, I think that's crucial to a lot of our workforce. I mean, in a lot of ways, especially reinsurance, it's not an industry that is, is kind of an out of the out of college industry. But by the same token, 
you know, if you get people thinking early that this is something that I should be aspiring to, this is a, a good industry to work in. I think we'd have more of a, a talent base that we can we can draw from than we probably do right now. And I think we got to think about retention, right? So now once we get the young people in, how do we keep them? There's plenty of opportunities in this world and any number of industries to do well. But I think, you know, the bottom line is when we go to things like conferences or we're having these meetings, especially now that everything's virtual, I mean, it's incumbent upon us to actually bring along the next generation. I think I spent the first two years of, of my my legal career, you know, not saying a word in a meeting and just, you know, having my emails checked and just, just trying to just like a sponge kind of suck it all in. But that was available to me because people were investing in me. And I think we need to do the same because this is a relationship industry. So in the end, you can have a great brand, but it's the people that are driving it. And it's the people that you end up having these relationships with and that you support and that you can trust. So just getting the younger generation out there and obviously things like this podcast are great as well. Any advice for young professionals who are out there uh, who are either looking for positions in the insurance or reinsurance industry or just in general, things that may have helped you throughout your careers? Yeah, well, one thing that I would say is don't just look for a position, look for look for opportunities. I mean, I think a lot of the positions I've taken within my career weren't positions before I got there, but I saw opportunities. I saw I saw ways that I could you know, grow the business or I saw ways that I could uh, reduce the bottom line and and took charge of that, owned it, made it my own. And that's the one thing that I would say to to people, you know, that that are are in positions, they don't think it's it's as challenging. You know, own it yourself. Find those opportunities within your organization and make a name for yourself. Just don't wait for somebody to quit and move on to the next job uh, so that you can can move up in the world and make your own opportunity first. And I think if I look throughout my career and where I've been, I've always had some strong advocates internally with the company. So, you know, trying to hitch your wagon to a strong mentor, you know, be the first to raise your hand for an opportunity to learn, even if it's outside of your core area of expertise or your comfort level. You know, this is a very interdisciplinary uh, type business where one day I'm dealing with tax, the next day I'm dealing with claims, the next day actuarial, the next day all three. So you kind of have to really get comfortable in some of these areas that maybe aren't for Marty and I, the legal side of things, for example. And unfortunately for, for newcomers, and I, and I learned this, and, they, and most people do learn this when they start their first day, these skills cannot be taught in a Legacy 101 book. I mean, they need to be learned over time through on-the-job training and relationship building. But what I can say from my personal experience is that if you dedicate yourself to the legacy field, there is a tremendous amount of opportunity uh, and rewards both personally and professionally. And I think especially here at Swiss Re with our DNI efforts and frankly, just you know, our, our constant push for that next generation to get everyone involved. It's a great place to work. And I think it's a great industry to work. You know, one other thing that I'd say, Katie, too, is that you just you got to get out there and you've got to meet people. You've got to talk to people. You've got to network, you know, both within your own company and outside, you know, with other people in the, um, other people in, in the industry. I think one of the strengths that I've, I've always had in, in, in my position is that I've got a broad global network of, of people that I know within, within Swiss Re. And, you know, I always know who I can go to if I've got a problem, who I can go to if I can talk to. And, and, you know, the bigger the network you have, I think the more successful you're going to have. I look at somebody like David and uh, I'm just amazed, you know, you walk into to AROC or you walk into some of these other industry conferences and everybody knows David. I mean, the, the value of having that kind of network it cannot be understated. Now, speaking of networking, especially right now, where so many things are virtual, 
any suggestions for how to build a network in, in, in our current climate? It's more challenging, isn't it? I mean, it you've got to be bold. You got to be bolder. And one of the things that I've been trying to do myself is to to stop sending people emails and to pick up the phone and, and talk to people. You know, the the number of clients, you know, before we went into to this pandemic lockdown that I would send emails to to, you know, just keep the ball moving forward was I mean, it, it's all I did. And I mean, I look for opportunities now to instead of sending an email to to pick up a phone and call them or to, you know, do what we're doing right now in a video chat and, and have those conversations with them face to face and not just have the the conversations that you're going to have in the email, get to know them personally, talk about what's going on with their day, have a laugh or two. I mean, I think it's just so terribly important, especially now that we can't get out and see each other face to face like we've been used to. I've been a bit surprised since March of 2020, when I'm sure we were all thinking, how is this? This virtual world actually going to work and can we actually work from home but i've been actually pleasantly surprised that the video chat medium has actually allowed us to i think we're building strong relationships i'm not going to say stronger than being in person but the old days of kind of picking up the phone and you don't know whether anyone's paying attention or whether they're engaged but with video you really get to know people and oftentimes you also get to know their personal situation you can see their backgrounds or what they're wearing or where they live and things like that so it's it's been surprising that you can't actually build relationships this way, but you do actually need to take initiative. Now, I will say, Katie, I'll say too, and and I'm hoping the world gets back to a little bit of normal because like everything in life, you need balance and, you know, you need to balance the, you know, the webcams and the video chats and the telephone calls with, with face-to-face. And, and I know Dave and I were both at AROC back in October and, you know, what a a breath of fresh air that was to actually, you know, see people laugh around the bar with a, a drink in your hand, do the things that you were, were kind of used to. So, I mean, I don't want to sit here and, and say that I think the world is going to be, you know, we're going to be successful in the vir- world is going to be completely virtual going forward. You know, hopefully at a time we find that right balance where you got the benefits of a virtual, you got the, the best of the COVID world plus the best of the old world. All right. Is there anything else either of you would uh, want to add? No, I'll just say thank you again, Katie, and to Eric for the opportunity and uh, you know, look forward to continuing to participate in any way that Eric needs. Eric's a great organization. And for anybody who's not a member, please feel free to look them up. They do a great job. Yeah. And I, I will say one thing I'll add too. I mean, if, if I struck a nerve with anything I, I said, if I inspired a, a thought that anybody said, I mean, I'd love to talk to you guys about it. And again, use this Use this this podcast as an opportunity to connect with with two new people like David is my and myself. Connect with us on LinkedIn, and you know, even more importantly, you know, find a way to maybe connect with us personally and talk on the phone and, and so on and so forth. I, I think that's the most important thing with these type of conversations. It just gives another another avenue for people to meet, another avenue for people to talk. So I would invite anybody who hears that that wants to to take that opportunity, please do so. Well, thank you both so much for joining us today. We appreciate your time and all of your insights. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, It's kind of like my own little mini podcast panel discussion. Uh, With that, I think I'm going to cue the music and close this thing out. 
The NextGen Task Force is part of AROC, the only U.S.-based nonprofit association focusing on the legacy or runoff sector of the insurance and reinsurance industries. AROC serves the industry by providing education, networking, information, and data. Learn more about what we do at www.aroc.org or contact AROC's Executive Director, Carolyn Fahey, at carolyn at aroc.org. That's A-I-R-R-O-C dot org. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.